Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Tuesday, July the 20th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles in Nehemiah chapter 5. It's a fascinating part of Nehemiah because Israelites keep plugging away. Despite opposition of building the wall, they keep going, but now they see a new kind of challenge. Kind of, if I dare say it, a social justice issue of the oppression of the poor, taxes, how does this all look? And in the midst of it, we see generosity. We see a governor of Judah who not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. Not only a good story, but also a good witness to us as well that points us to Christ. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's word, we welcome regular guest Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, good morning. God's blessings to you and everyone listening. Uh, it is an honor, always an honor to be on on KFU and an honor to be on, on this show uh, as we uh, dig into this word here and, and, and learn so much about uh, the love of our neighbor, walking together in, in humility, um, listening to the cries, the needs that our neighbor has. Yeah, so there's there is much to uh, examine here. Well, what's what you know, and uh, man, I mean, you already got to the, you're already getting to the tax, you're getting the meat of it this morning. I was, I always try to ask a little bit what's going on for you, so I'll take a step back if I can, <laughs> and just what's going on for Pastor sure. Shank, his family, and the saints yeah. at Trinity. Uh, well, we are rejoicing, oh Lord, uh, this, this summer. We have lots of different projects uh, going on. Uh, there's always things you know, with our, we have a uh, school, daycare, preschool, uh, campus ministry, all different things going on. So this summer, a uh, couple months, uh, from June into July, uh, we've got to pack in anything we had on our like punch list of things that had to get done. So there's work on the uh, parking lot, worked on uh, getting floors waxed, trying to get uh, different uh, summer camps in. Uh, so it's very busy and, and messy and, and things get destroyed. And then we have to put it all back together so it can look nice uh, for when school starts. So um, things are a little busy. Everybody thinks, you know, hey, take a break over the summer. We do try to take some vacations. So um, being with the family and, and heading to, to Michigan and, and all those kind of fun things too. Uh, but uh, lots of, of work uh, while the parking lots and, and every room in the classrooms aren't being filled. Um, new technologies and all, all different stuff has to get done. And you know, this is uh, brings up one question that is obviously very, very important. I remember you saying that you kind of you kind of grew up between Detroit and between and Lansing. So that my question then is, who do you cheer for? Are you a Michigan State or a Michigan Wolverine fan? I'm a Wolverine fan, ah. but we are uh, a divided house. <laughs> my uh, uh, brother-in-law's family and uh, my mom, he has a, a master's degree from Michigan State. So, um, it is a bit of a divided house. We are we are in the middle there, um, but 
you know, the true Saints want to root for Michigan. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's, that's probably not true, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to raise my family, my children. Even as we're in Illinois, they are Michigan Wolverine fans, especially nice. uh, basketball, football, and yeah. Gotcha. Well, now we know, folks, if you ever are wondering where Pastor Shank stands, not only in the Word of God, but also in the Wolverines. So, anyways. Yeah. Well, and Pastor... the Saints here at Edwardsville, they know. They, they uh, see hats, and, and then they get to make fun of me, because when they lose, or oh. my, I mean, the Tigers aren't good, so it's kind of easy. I mean, these Cardinals fans, they, oh. they know winning a little bit more they than do. we do, but it is. I know the theology of the cross, so <laughs> they have much to learn. <laughs> you don't only know it, you know feel suffering. it yearly. You feel it yearly, absolutely. <laughs> well, Pastor, yeah. back in, now we'll go back on the farm in the other direction. Is, uh, as we look at Nehemiah, can you begin our time in prayer? Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray would be with us as we examine your holy word, that we would walk in the fear of you, our Lord, so that we may not look to the needs of our ourselves and be focused in on, on what is best for ourselves alone, but we would look to the needs of our neighbor. We're reminded that your son is coming again. Help us then look and live in a way that honors his holy name. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Pastor Shank, we are near in the middle of this book, this powerful book, and I have to take a step back for myself, and now that we're in chapter 5, it's been interesting. I had an, a person email me, one of our listeners, our, our very blessed uh, listener who writes in all the time, and he's like, so tell me why you didn't do Ezra first. You know, you get down with 1st, 2nd Kings, and you got Ezra, really is a great connecting point. Then you get to Nehemiah, if you go chronological, you go even theological, I would argue, has a good uh, segue, and the, and there's there's a really good reason for this. I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I just remember Nehemiah. I studied it, and so I don't. I don't think that's a repentance. I don't think this is a confession. I'm not sure what it is. I think I just overlooked it. So that's the answer to our listener who wrote that that email. Many of you probably are wondering why not Ezra before this. No good reason. It just happened, and here we are standing on the word of God. So, um. In, in, anyways, any thoughts on that, Pastor? I just completely didn't think about it. Well, um, maybe the question comes uh, because often historically these books were together in, in the Septuagint. Um, it's not named Nehemiah, but Second uh, Ezra. True. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so there, there's definitely a huge connection, and and it's okay uh, that our English Bibles. Uh, separate the two, but we shouldn't see them separated, though it is, there's nothing wrong with studying any word, any part of God's work. Uh, so you are uh, absolved of any, any guilt that you might feel because we are studying the word of the Lord and we will be edified. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, but, uh, but yes, yeah, these, these books do uh, go together, but now that you've read this the, the uh, person asking go back and read yeah, uh, as, yeah. uh, see the connection to to uh chronicles and and, and the rest oh my and goodness to jump ahead to uh the 
the prophets um, and, uh, and and see the fulfillment of all things. So it's yeah. it's it's so interconnected that yeah yeah absolutely. So anyways, I was gonna say at first you started talking, I, I was feeling more guilty. I was like, wait, actually used to be one book. They used to be all together as one, and I miss I I took out half of the book, you know. Anyways, but so so we're in Nehemiah. We're here, no matter what. We're here. We are here. So we're in chapter five. Do you have any introductory thoughts or background that you want to highlight to help us out this morning? Sure. Just um, kind of a reminder that, that Nehemiah, from the study Bible, a little, little bit from the study Bible here, um, that the, the Nehemiah faithful layman gives God's people a remarkable example of courage and leadership. So as we look at this book, we're reminded um, about our role, whomever is listening, their role uh, within the, the household of God, within their, their gifts and abilities that God has given them. Um, and how God has used this faithful layman um, to, to provide leadership to this returning uh, people of God from exile uh, in this uh, the third return. Now, uh, this particular book, we are focused primarily um, on the re- rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem uh, and um, the reestablishment of, of the walls and the gates and, and everything. At the last chapter kind of kind of hit a couple points there as we head into our chapter we have hit that opposition in chapter four um with taunts and um people making uh, fun of of those who rebuilt but within that within that you constantly have these editorial notes of prayer of mm-hmm. Nehemiah who continues to go back to the Lord and and continue to encourage. Uh, he has great wisdom for the people, uh, as we saw in that chapter about what they should be doing um, to protect the people. But within it all, it, it's not just, hey, this is my wisdom, this is what I'm doing, and by our might, we will be kept safe. No, Nehemiah continues um, to have his hope in the Lord and to give God all the credit always to give God all um, of his hope and trust and faith, even though that they're going to, um, you know, maybe have swords on their hips or in one hand while they have tools in the other hand, you know, one might be like, well, what are they trusting in? Well, Nehemiah continues to bring them back that their trust, their hope is in the Lord. Um, Though it is right for them as a hope in the Lord uh, to be prepared uh, and to act wisely. So it is a, just a very um, masterful way in which um, laymen working within the church, maybe church council, board of elders, can work in ways and see how Nehemiah is a great example of faithfulness, even as we're using God's gifts of wisdom, abilities, that in the end we give him all the glory. As it says in verse 20 in chapter 4, our God will fight for us. Is that, you know, yes, they have a weapon in one hand. Yes, they're building with the other. But they ultimately know that the Lord um, is there for them. And there's, he said it so well. I mean, he starts, Nehemiah chapter 1 starts basically with him praying. I mean, that's that's the, the premise of the book. And you see these, I saw a commentary kind of call them arrow prayers where you just kind of do a quick, like an arrow shot, you know, into the target 
or it's just a quick boom, you know, uh, the, the Lord, the Lord helped me here. And, I, and there was one part where he says, I was afraid. And he said, and then I prayed. And there's this wonderful uh, faithfulness in, in, in prayer that he has. And today I, I see it this way. And I want to hear your thoughts is, is that he, we see him as a man of prayer, which shows his faith. And then it gives us an example of how we can pray throughout our days. Like you said, our, vo- our vocational uh, for the laity, well, for everybody, but for the laity that each day they're in the midst of these not exact battles, but their own struggles and, and joys and, and voc- vocational holiness. And you're praying in the midst of that. And today we see kind of, it's not he's not just a man of prayer, but he's a man of compassion and generosity. So you definitely see all of it kind of come together, which is just beautiful thing to be able to reflect on. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it is a great point and a great reminder for all of our, our people um, that prayer is, is not just something that we, well, we'll just leave it to church or leave it to the pastors to pray. Um, but whenever we, you know, there are times that the blessed reality of being a pastor, we get to visit our people, live in the lives of our people. And it's so wonderful when we have these uh, heads of households and uh, situations come uh, either uh, joy and rejoicing or um, troubling morning times and they just stop and they say, well, Pastor, let's pray. And, and then they just pray for their family right there. And, um, and just, again, it's, um, yeah, that the redirecting of their family back to the source of all goodness and all faithfulness. So, yeah, I think Nehemiah reminds us of that perfectly and in, in, in these, editorial these notes of this is this is our prayer in the midst of this situation yeah well let's let's dig in chapter five and reminder to our listeners we'll be reading from the english standard version verses one through five reminder that right before this that there's opposition to the work but yet they keep working and now we see something else kind of crop up in the background so verses one through five now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So it's really, it's almost like they're, it's like uh, turning a diamond. You see a whole different dynamic. It's not just about building a wall. There's something else going on here. And what are they describing what's happening for God's people at this time? So there's, I mean, we would call the term usury. Mm. Uh, so we have, um, we have a outcry uh, of the need of the people. So the, um, the economic situation uh, that was kind of put into place uh, um, of the nobles, of the officials who had means, um, we're turning to those who did not. Maybe there says uh, maybe it was multiple times of bad crops, 
famine uh, and the like. Maybe it was because um, these, um, the men were rebuilding the wall. Maybe that took them away from uh, being able to, uh, you know, grow properly or uh, produce as, as much or more than what what they normally did, so that they could pay the tax, the tax uh, assessed uh, from from the land uh, to pay back uh, or to to uh, to give to the to the king, not the kingdom of Israel here, uh, but to uh, the Persian king. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the midst of this, they have to pay that. That this is not something they 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 could just uh, say, well, it's a bad year. I'll catch you next year. Um, that means uh, they, they would not, they, they, they would come and uh, take what they wanted. So um, you can't not pay. Taxes are going to be assessed and they will need to be paid. So they were finding means uh, to be able to, to do this. So they were um, getting loans, uh, loans to, to buy, buy food for themselves. Uh, loans to pay the taxes, and um, because these loans incurred interest, they could no longer uh, repay. Things were piling up, um, just like maybe you see from like a loan shark or something. There is there is more than what they could handle, and uh, so things are getting out of control to the point where um, they are going to have to uh, sell their their children into slavery so that they can uh, repay. And it really does present the other side of what's really going on. Cause you can just tell the story that we wanted to build a wall and the people are being mean and they're going after us. And then we built a wall, amen and move forward. But here it really is a, um, a showing the reality of the brokenness of this world and the opportunity to show mercy. Because in verse two, it's basically saying we need food. We don't have anything. And then it, and then in verse three, it just talks about how um, we owe money and someone else actually owns our land. And so, and then, then finally that there's actually some slavery. They actually had to sell, sell their kids um, in order to just survive and, and this shows that they were never able to get ahead. And so I like how earthy this is. You know, it doesn't present as if Judah or uh, the Persian government or, or, uh, or Judah and others were just, everything's just going great. It shows the reality of the world, which we will deal with in our own world. Um, the struggles that some people are going through, which is what the call of the church is, is to extend mercy. And part of that is to be able to see it, which can be difficult at times. So other other thoughts on this, I I just found it very earthy, and I appreciated how it really shows the reality of everything, and how the church um, serves, and the opportunity is there to show our Lord who um, heals the brokenhearted and feeds and clothes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then it, it does show us that uh, I mean, there's always even in our day too a push to um, find a perfect utopia in which everything is going to be great. If we could just establish this, I mean, they are the, uh, the people of God. And as the people of God, uh, they struggle as they are called to live together. So if we keep having these dreams as if we could just set up the right government, then we never have any more problems or smaller than that. We could just establish the right community or smaller than that, mm. we'll just take my family and we will just 
cloister ourselves away from everybody. The problem is you can't escape sin. And, and we have to then just deal with We can't hide it. That's not the goal to hide our sins away, but to confess our sins. Our goal is not to just be off by ourselves, but then to love our neighbor. So the struggle with it all is just so, like you said, very earthly, very real, and it confronts us, where's our hope going to be? So our hope is how much we can establish and how much we can do. So then if we just, you know, have this perfect society, then we'll never have any more struggles. That should our struggles come to us, we think, you know, it just devastates the community of, of believers. But instead, if we know that we will, we will sin against each other, we, we are going to do this. Then we're not shocked when it comes up. It's not that our desire is to be horrible to each other. We're not shocked when it comes so that we can speak openly when grievances have come and, and seek um, to be reconciled to each other instead of just saying, well, uh, these, this group is, uh, they're just a bunch of sinners. I'm going to go off to this group and then off to this group. Right. And off to, if we keep running, we, we will never find um, th- that place of, of love and service that, that God has given to us as, uh, as a community of believers. Now, I, I hesitate to say it in this way, but I think it, it, it's, it's true is that this is a kind of social justice issue, and that is so, I mean, there's so many, that term is so riddled with other stuff, I'll just say it that way. Um, but here, it's very much so to be able to see the needs of families, of uh, landowners, the needs of children, and all of this is something that is there, and I love how you said it, is if we start to think, well, if we just did X, whatever that X is, you know, if Trinity Lutheran just did this, then we would solve the problem of this. Or Messiah Lutheran Church just did this, or that each individual just gave this, then everything would be solved. And 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 that's a that's a problem it's problematic because like you said, there's always sin, there's always gonna be brokenness. But what at the end of the day, we serve who we can serve, and we see an example of this in Nehemiah today that he serves not to say how can we fix all the problems in the world, but to say, I'm going to serve what I can do and then ask, say, Lord, give me the strong right hand. Help me to do this accordingly with the understanding of God's compassion and mercy upon him. So I think I love how you brought that tension to the forefront to say this is an issue, but the church is called to serve. But let's not try to make this sound like we can build a utopia. Um, Would that summarize it well? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, uh, I guess the biggest thing of what I was, I know it's kind of tricky as we're kind of working our way through, yeah. which is that we don't want the wrong hope. Our yeah. hope yeah. is that Christ is our answer, which doesn't allow me to throw up my hands and be like, well, then nothing matters. No, Christ is the answer. Now, I desire to listen to him who calls me to love him and love my neighbor. Therefore, I'm, I have to get in the mud. I have to be there. I have to, to love them, which is a very much a verbal reality. You will be moved into love, into sacrifice. Um, so it's moving away from, I am going to establish perfection, and I will, we will do this, and therefore we are the, we're, this other thing other than Jesus is our hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Jesus is our hope, then I am called to love. Um, 
And, and so that's what we have in our time. And that's why it's good for us to move forward and to see how Nehemiah, so Nehemiah sees this, the people see this, and then he lays it out how he wants to care and have compassion. So 6 through 11, and we'll be, actually, I think we'll read these verses and then go straight to our break. So 6, verses 6 through 11, Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that they have been exacted from them. So just, well, yeah, let's go to our break. As we look at this, it is fascinating. How would I respond if somebody was that abrupt, <laughs> abrupt with you and says, by the way, you got to give it all back. And how are the people going to hear this at this time? But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Nehemiah chapter five with Pastor John Shank, and we'll be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. And welcome back. We are studying Nehemiah chapter 5 with Pastor John Shank. And we've, you know, we've really gotten to the heart of everything. And Nehemiah gathers the, gathers the crowd. He gathers the nobles, the officials, ones that he's basically saying, you guys are not doing something good here. So, Pastor, how do you think the nobles and everybody else uh, responded or what they thought in their hearts? Because we didn't get quite to the response yet. But he's asking, he's having a tall order here. He's hitting them pretty hard. What are your thoughts on, on his words? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think when we get to the response, um, I'm a bit blown away. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is uh, not been my experience <laughs> of when you're like, hey, it really, it really looks like uh, this would be the loving thing to do for your neighbor. Um I, I haven't always had people say, yeah, you're right. right. Let's just do that. You're, let's, just, let's go and, and sacrifice our neighbor in this way. Um, you know, when, when, it, when it is so, uh, maybe, maybe uh, Nehemiah's um, 
rendering of this. I, you wonder uh, if there was more meetings, if this all happened at one time, or right. if he's giving us um, I was wondering a synopsis too. of, of uh, because it does appear that he was maybe even uh, doing this and then stopped. And then, so you've got, it's, it's an interesting uh, breakdown uh, from the beginning to the end. If you really were to break down every verse by verse, it does appear like maybe even his household was doing this. Right. Um, so, uh, so he had to make some change and then maybe there was an initial, Hey, this, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then he had to come out to everybody. We're not going to do this anymore. All of us. Um, so, um, it, it is, it is, it is interesting. Um, it, it does point us back. So it's not like he just came up on this on his own, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Exodus, uh, 22, 25 speaks about, um, this reality of usury, uh, to the poor, uh, that, that this was not lawful for them. So again, this is not, um, completely up, applicable in the sense of exact. Right. This is exactly going to apply to our day. Therefore, let's overrun every bank that lends out. And no, that's not what we're dealing with. Mm. We're dealing with a people who are being governed. The people of God are supposed to be governed by God. Um, and and so uh, this reality was the word of the Lord was supposed to be uh, guiding and the, the, the norm of their daily lives. So. So the fact that Nehemiah has to bring them back to that um, shows us that Nehemiah isn't, this isn't just from him, right? The word of the Lord had already spoken to these matters and he is bringing them back. Um, so maybe that in some way helps that, that Nehemiah isn't just uh, shooting from the cuff, you know, shooting from the hip here. It's very clear that, that well, not very clear. In verse 10, he, he includes himself on this. Which I think is, a, you know, it's an interesting move, and it's not done in a, um, you know, sometimes we can have that in our own culture where you kind of like, well, I'm a sinner too, and therefore we come to the cross, and and and, mo- and all the times we can't question people's motives, but sometimes you feel like it's just kind of added in there, which it re- isn't reconnected really to you, where you need to be more strong and saying you're doing wrong, and you don't have to include yourself because what they're doing is is not you. But here, clearly, he somehow, verse ten. Um, is lending money and he's gaining from this himself uh, with some kind of interest how much we don't know and it is quite fascinating because he's asking a lot verse 11 basically uh, give it all back give them their fields give them their vineyards give them their orchards give them their houses you know pay them back the money that you took from them and I can't imagine that for these nobles that this would not be a big financial hit in your study, did you find anything on that? I mean, that to me, it just seems an insurmountable amount of money they would lose in this process of what he's saying. Yeah, there there is money lost, but the money lost was the money gained. Ah, yeah, um, okay, sure. Was was not theirs in the first place, ah. which was then reminding the people, reminding these nobles and um, everyone maybe stand up and maybe this was a practice that they, Nehemiah seems like a man of uh, significant um, ability financially. Um, and so maybe this practice was uh, brought, brought back to, to, 
to uh, Judah, right? Mm. And so they're just doing what the world does. This is just what the world does. Hey, you, you need some help? I can help you, and it costs you uh, whatever percentage, right? Mm. We don't we don't know the percentage, and it, the fact really isn't about the percentage. It's about what it's causing to your brother that God who had led them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of being exiles from the land, you are now acting like those foreign pagan people by now selling them into slavery. It's it's like uh, Egypt is happening. Over, I mean, for the people of Israel, it's like the reality of Egypt happens over and over and over again, right? Um, that we were in bondage, that we were set free, and we wanted to return to bondage. So it's like we were um, we were exiled because we had put ourselves into bondage to gods that aren't real gods. And so God brought us into bondage to bring us back into fellowship and faith towards him, repentance. And now we have been brought back to the land and we want bondage again, um, bondage to things and which would then put people into real bondage. So um, this repetition. And so maybe that preaching, not maybe, it is that preaching uh, that the Holy Spirit works to bring them to see what it is that they're doing and what what they're doing, which might be a common practice in the world, but here within this household of of believers, this this community, this <laughs> this uh, the the body, the family of God, that this just can't be their way, uh, which has some application for us. I think I think um, it is a law unto them and we are free to live in love so it was a law to them they had to do it you've been set free so should we look at to do less i don't think that's the answer for us to want to do less um we need we shouldn't want to do less than what the law demands we should want to be generous and this is a definitely a generosity chapter i think as we go through these verses even more there's there's a is a proof of like you said when i've encouraged sometimes exhorted and preached generosity to people it isn't like they said oh yeah okay i'll do that right away (laughs) and you know what on the flip side of that when people have told me to be generous and to live a more holy life i've not exactly been the person to say okay i'll do that you know but here it does and this is why when we get we'll get to these next few verses um, but definitely he's laying out on the table. He's, he's preaching the law, reminding them of the generosity of God. And I like how you said it so well, too, that, well, you might be, quote, losing these things, but guess what? They weren't yours to begin with, which is another great stewardship understanding of who, who we are as God's people. Like, well, I, but I want that. I want this, or I need this, or whatever it might be. Well, let's, let's remember this. It wasn't yours to begin with. This is a generous God giving you um, everything that we do not deserve, but yet he gives it out of his love and grace. So um, let's go 12 and 13, and then we'll hear the response, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, verses 12 and 13. Then they said, the ones he's preaching to, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. (laughs) And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out of the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from this house, from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So maybe he be shaken out and emptied, 
And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised Yahweh. And the people did as they had promised. So how did they respond, Pastor? They responded in faith. They responded, um, as you said, uh, first, their yeses uh, to the Lord. Um, and in their yes to the Lord, uh, they serve their neighbor. And so it's really good for us to get that flow, right? First, they, uh, they agreed, yes, they agreed that this is right, but they were being, um, they were being uh, instructed by the Holy Spirit in this word that was being laid on, on them. Uh, and, and in that, they were brought which is, yes, they, they were acknowledging in the sorrow of their sin, but they lived in faith. They, they praised the Lord. And in that praise of the Lord, then they did what was right to do. Yeah, it is a justice, right, reality. Um, a couple weeks ago, people are in the three-year lectionary. Um, we had Amos, and he brought a word of the Lord, and the, the vision, right? And Amos away. So as we hear this, it, it you know, and you're hearing us talk about being about Amos, and and Amos uh, saw a vision uh, where God was holding the plumb line, and, and Amaziah, which we, we showed us the, the the judgment of the Lord, the clear word of the Lord against um, against Israel, Northern Kingdom. Um, but uh, but then, but then hearing that word, the response uh, of Amaziah, this so-called priest, was to tell Amos, the prophet of God, to go to go away. That's true. So as you're, if you hear us kind of being shocked when uh, when the word of the Lord says, "Hey, this is this is wrong. This is not love for our neighbor." Um, so let us let us show love for our neighbor, and and this is the way in which we can sacrifice love our neighbor and they are served, and everybody goes, amen, let's do it, praise the Lord, and then they do it. Um, it is shocking because so often when we're going to our people and when our people are coming to us and saying, Pastor, you know what? When you did this, when you said it like this, that wasn't right. And our reaction, I'll put it myself, our reaction is, who do you think you are? In my heart, maybe I hopefully I don't say it out loud. Um but I might react and say, who do you think you are? Yeah. Right. Oh, um, but here the word of the Lord is not leading them to say, who do you think they are? But amen. And yes. And then they do it. So uh, I rejoice whenever the, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is manifested that brings us through a true repentance and faith towards our uh, God and love towards our neighbor, which is just so clearly seen here. And in verse 13, he gives an object lesson. Which I think is, you know, and, and like you said, you, you have a school and your teachers are just doing this wonderful job of connecting the word of God to kids and all these different ways. And my mom's a teacher too. And you just have those moments where they, they can make connections. That's unbelievable. And here God gives us one that I, you know, sometimes I just don't get it. What was your perception of what is he saying? Shook out the fold of my garment and said, um, what is he saying with his garment and shaking it out? And what does this mean for God's people? Well, I think another area that, that they could, that our people would probably be remembering is when our Lord Jesus sends out his disciples, right? 
uh, which was not that, uh, again, a few weeks back. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And uh, and so uh, stay at one house. If they, if they receive you, <clears throat> stay there, the blessing upon the house. If they don't receive you, when you leave, what are they supposed to do but to shake off the dust from them? Um, the, the shaking off, the shaking out is a, is a judgment language, right? If you don't do this, you will be shaken out, um, cast out, judged, removed. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, when you hear that, I, I think my mind jumps back uh, or jumps ahead in this, in this sense uh, to, to Jesus and his call of a sign of judgment against those who reject the word. And it's a great reminder of, of that. So there, there's the law once again. And in verse 13, at the very end, and all the assembly said, Amen, let it be so. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they said. I mean, this is just a wonderful part of, of seeing the, the fruitfulness of God's word. This goes through the spirit type of, of situation, the generosity of, of God's people, and the way God works in our lives, which we see all the time in the church. And I, and I find it fun to be able to step back and see that one is an example, but also you see it in our own lives where people are very generous. They're very giving many times us never knowing. And all they do is they say, amen. And then they go do it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing reality. Any other thoughts on this generosity that we see? Yeah. And I, I think it's helpful for us to see the, the source, right? Every detail is not being explained here, but we know how the Lord works, right? We can take, the fullness of God's counsel in the word and apply it to, to this text that God brings us into these things through the gospel that, that we would be led to see our, we have been loved in such a way. We, God's grace for us has been such. So they had been taken out and had been returned. God's grace revealed to them, his love, um, his active hand upon them in this rebuilding, yes, but in making them his people, we are the people of the Lord after all. That reality of God's grace is what motivates, is what moves us to be gracious, to be loved. God's love for us is the source of all love for that we have for our neighbor. So um, seeing that, uh, it's not like, well, those are, are special uh, individuals. They are uniquely able to be uh, loving. No, it's, it's the source of love uh, that that is the then outflow of where that love comes from. At the beginning of our uh, of our time, you said it so well when you said the, the question is, is uh, not your circumstance. This is summarizing, maybe, you know, tell me if I'm saying this wrong. Uh, but the question is, where is your hope? You know, is your hope in the the that that this, these nobles and princes are going to do all the right thing and we're going to be able to figure all this out? Or is the hope in the Lord, and this goes with generosity as well, is that to be generous is not about, okay, that person has a million dollars and you have a thousand dollars, and then therefore that person who gives whatever amount is more generous than you. It's not about the amount. It's about where is your hope and how could you not but yet look at the cross and realize that he has emptied himself for you and gives you full salvation. How could we not then be generous 
that's where our hope lies. And it's not a matter of how much, it's a matter of where our hope lies. That's the foundation, that's the source, that's everything. Um, and I love how you made that connection at the beginning. And I think that connects well to the generosity piece that we have. Last thoughts on the first 13 verses. Yeah, if, if we are gathered to the cross, gathered to the empty tomb, uh, gathered at our baptismal font, gathered to the, uh, the rail, at the table of the Lord, and, and we are brought by the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Lord, amen, Lord. You are everything. Not just all that I need. You are all. And you have given all to me in Christ. Then the needs of my neighbor, um, yeah, I, I, I can say I can give. I can give of myself. I can give of my possessions because I have a source of everything um, because Jesus has given himself to me. I will trust him. Um, so yeah, that's the hope reality. And now we get to see a witness of that from Nehemiah himself, which is, I think a good, uh, starting point for us to think about is it is apparent that Nehemiah might have come from some source of wealth, uh, when we read these verses. So once again, we don't, we don't want to look at it and go, wow, geez, you know, he fed this many, you know, how many can I feed? Uh, and then we start thinking, well, I can't do that much, so therefore I'm just not even going to try. But it, it, that, from what I read, it appears that Nehemiah, Nehemiah must have come from some kind of wealth. Any, any thoughts on that or what you found? Well, he was a cupbearer, mm-hmm. right? So as the cupbearer, that, that puts you in a very high position. It sounds, for our, to our ears, it sounds like the lowest person, right? <laughs> it's true. To be yeah. the cupbearer, man, like that, that's not a job I want. No, you're like now responsible for everything the king drinks and you have his ear, right? You're like an advisor to the king. Um, he is putting his life in your hands. So this is like super high position. Uh, therefore, it kind of gives us an indication of his, um, his financial well-being and, and, and ability. Uh, but as we look at this, you know, it's like, well, no wonder... Uh, God has placed all these things in line for him to to be able to serve his people. Um, so uh, God is in control of all of this. Let's read 14 through the end of chapter 5. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, whom from the 20th year to the 32nd year king of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration and 40 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in this work on the wall and acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now there was prepared at my expense, for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done, for this people. Now, we could probably interpret this in different ways, but what is it showing us about Nehemiah? Yeah, I, I think it shows his compassion. Um, I think it shows his 
fatherly love to the people, um, I, wisdom. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, you can keep going. And I think it shows a lot that he is looking out and he is, and from the beginning, he hears of the people in Judah, Jerusalem, their plight, and it brings them to mourning. That's love, right? And, and because of that, then he is, is uh, uh, bold in his request and, and goes and uh, throughout this time of caring for the people, you see this fatherly-like love. And, and that's the reality of, of those who've been put into positions of headship, so leadership, um, household leadership, headship, father, husband. Um, that's how they should see their role. Not that everybody is here to serve me, but I am here to lead my family and I will be the first to sacrifice uh, for them. And that's how, because in that, who, who are we seeing? Uh, but we are seeing Christ, right? Uh, Nehemiah leaves a high position and comes uh, to serve. Christ leaves his, his place uh, of honor and glory and he comes, takes our lowly uh, position as taken on our flesh and and he serves us. So yeah, we continue to see how our Lord Jesus is foreshadowed and typed. And we continue to see then an example for us to follow in our daily lives, in the church, in our home, in our community, um, in our work, uh, that we are to serve and sacrifice because that is what we have in our Lord Jesus. And I like how it says right in the middle, but I did, I did not do so. And he speaks about how other governors basically still would take the rations of others, you know, even though, and you lord it over them. I mean, you cannot help but look in the Old Testament that, you know, the Gentiles will lord it over the people that you see that Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That you see all of that, but in verse 15, he says, they did that, but I did not do this because of the fear of God. Now, we've been talking about fear of God, and, and it's really fascinating because we see it all the time in the catechism. And when he talks about fear of God, what are your thoughts on that? What does he mean by the fear of God? To me, that sounds like kind of like a horror movie or something, but what does fear of God mean? Yeah, I think it's something we, we do struggle with um, because I think we always just want to maybe downplay it. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think that's helpful. I don't know if it's always helpful to be like, uh, fear, let's change it to respect or honor. I don't Mm, know. mm -hmm. I think leaving it as it is, is right. Um, Again, like you said, it's not that we turn God into a monster, but we leave God as God. We actually see him as he is. And do we not have reverence? Is that reality? Does that not bring us to our knees in awe and wonder and, and, in fear of the Lord, because um, because we know our, our sins are great. So let us have some respect and, and let us know our place that if it was up to just us, the judgment would be great against us as he comes to us. But because of who he is, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, bounty of steadfast love, the lens of our disaster, then we can come before him in rightful fear, which doesn't, uh, lead us to despair, but brings us in awe and worship uh, of the Lord. 
So mm. uh, that motivate that then then it does motivate and and turns us because we know him. It 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 turns us to live in a way a desire to live in a way that pleases him, which is good for us today. Let the word speak with what the word says <laughs> and something yeah. and you can't wiggle around it. It is the, he is the creator of all the universe. He is the one who can, you know, who can create and destroy at one time. So it's, it goes way beyond than the respect that I have for a police officer who pulls me over. It goes way beyond that because he's God and that police officer is not, you know, that kind of thing when I'm speeding and it's right. obvious that I made the mistake. Um, but it, it is, I, I love how you said that. Let's let the word speak the way it's, says but but let's not make it sound like this fear is is like of a monster but it's fear of knowing that that god is clearly compassionate that that when nehemiah prays in chapter one he sees this god as a loving god who is there for his best for his best interest obviously in love uh no different than how we talk in the catechism as a dear father asks you know a dear child asks their dear father and and he comes to them and he can't help but, once again, be generous. Even 150 uh, men at the table, it sounds like, every day that he was serving these folks, not bringing the food to himself and eating grapes like women and other people, you know, just giving them grapes for no reason. But he's there laying out the table for them. Pastor, what does this have to tell us about generosity for Nehemiah and for us? Um, I think it, again, teaches us uh, about, <laughs> about Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus continued uh, to be generous. He didn't. It'd be wrong for us to think he. Well, he had to do it. He didn't have to do it. He was compelled by his love and by the love of his Father, who loves you, to then sacrifice and give, and then set a table before you and feed you. And look what he does for you, his people. And so as, as Nehemiah is like, hey, remember, Lord, what I have done for your people, Jesus says the same, remember, Lord, remember, Father, what I have done for your people. And he intercedes for us, and he is glorified, and we are brought and fed and nourished and given eternal life. So I, I can't stop but being Jesus. But, yes, we are also brought to say, uh, in my daily life, I want to be a Christian. Mm. I am a Christian in my baptism. Therefore, I will look towards the needs of my neighbor. And, and my needs of my neighbor are right here in my house. I don't have to go find someone in a far It's great. You want to support missions? Great. But don't forget those who are right there. He was right there. Those people were right there in his house, right? Mm. He fed them. If we feed them, then we are being led by the call of the Lord uh, to serve our neighbor in love and in, in the fear of him. Now, Pastor, as we look at this, we have about a minute, just over a minute left. How would you summarize this chapter? Um, and you've said a lot already, but I just wanted to make sure that you're able to yeah. hit home what we've covered this whole time. How would you summarize this chapter? I would uh, summarize it in, in the reality of being, being led by the Lord into his word, which convicts us of our sins. When we, when we hear when the word of the Lord brings us and it enlightens us, we are, we are led. We are, our eyes are opened to the needs of our neighbor who cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help us. And we might be the, the help that they need because we might have been the ones 
actually have hurt and injured our neighbor, let us then be eager to hear that word of correction and, and not to rebuff it, because we all need to be corrected by the word of the Lord. And as we are corrected, let us then gather together, use the wisdom of our brothers and sisters into what is best. How can we serve our neighbor in faithfulness? And then put our amen to it, because we are being reminded of how our Lord Jesus has served us, how he gave himself for us, how he supplies all of our need, and how we are called to trust that he will continue. And as we trust in him, we are, we are led into all sense of, uh, of, of unity around him together in, in, in the love for which he has united us together. Very much um, John 17, mm. you know, we see a lot of Paul here too, the reality that, yes, uh, Paul could have said, you owe me, I'll, I'll take this, but he doesn't. Um, yeah, it's, there's just the beauty of, of Scripture uh, continues to, to show us Jesus. Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois, given us God's strong word from Nehemiah chapter 5, and I think you said it so well, Pastor, putting the amen on our God's gener- generosity and also for our own. Pastor Shank, thank you again for being our guest. Well, thank you. Saints of our Lord, Nehemiah made sure that people not only talked the talk, but walked the walk, and he didn't just say it, he lived it. And we pray for the Lord to lead us to live holy lives of compassion and generosity as our Lord Jesus is compassionate and generous to us. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <laughs>